so I, I mean, I, I, I don't get my happiness from money for sure. I, I find happiness in my family and in my Catholic faith, but I would say that, that I am, I, I guess I would say that I am happier now um, than I was say 10 years ago, but not in the sense that I was dissatisfied or unhappy that we only had $2,000 in our checking account or whatever. I would say it's similar to asking the question, if I'm happier now that Anne is born, and I would say, yes, I am happier, not to say that I was unhappy three years ago or seven years ago when we had fewer kids, if that makes sense. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. All righty, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. Thanks for joining us. This is episode 159. Jace, what's going on? How are you? Not a lot. Doing great. How you doing, Clark? Good. Doing good. We're both uh, BYU football fans here, so it was good to see they had a nice win yesterday, right? Move up in the rankings a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's been a great football season, you know, all things considered. I get the Pac-12 starting again this weekend, and I know they've had a couple games canceled, but yeah, I mean, BYU's had a great season, even though their schedule hasn't been super great or what definitely wasn't what it was supposed to be to, to start the season but <laughs> glad glad they've been able to have some I'm glad to see a bunch of other you know college teams on the field i know they've managed for the most part it seems like the pandemic pretty well i've had you know several games canceled i think that was probably expected but definitely makes it uh, a little bit more interesting you know as we go into the, the holidays here to to watch some football yeah, agreed. And, and of course, it's been a crazy week this week, right? With with the election and everything going on there. So hopefully at some point that comes to an end, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, no kidding, regardless right? Regardless of what side you're on, hopefully it's it just mellows down a little bit. And I think it's it's consumed everybody for a while here. So totally. You know, one thing we were chatting about before the show, as we were talking about like saving and investing here, we always try and share just a little tidbit of information or something that we find interesting. But we came across this article and it talks about allocating your costs and it, it really breaks it down into allocating into four buckets and the first one is fixed costs so that's like rent groceries if you have student loans utilities something that you can't really avoid in a sense right or trim that much they say you spend about 50 percent of your income long-term investments which is like 401k and ira they say is about 10 percent savings goals which they put vacations, which is interesting, but that's worth discussing. They say 5 to 10%. And then guilt-free spending, this article suggests, it's just an article we came across on CNBC, suggests 20 to 35% of your spending. But we were talking about in, investments and savings, and this says they recommend saving about 15%. And it got me thinking about how much our millionaires save. What would you say overall, as we've done about 175 or so-ish millionaire interviews, how much do you think they each save? Yeah, I think for the most part, they're they're investing, saving and investing, you know, 20 to 30% of their income. And most of that, for the most part, is either going into retirement savings or into some sort of fund to, to buy some sort of real estate for the most part. I think it's more for those that are wanting to pursue, you know, either early retirement or some sort of path that will cause them to need, you know, more of those funds earlier, partly because 
retirement accounts, you don't have access to those until, you know, you're 59, 59 and a half. And so they've got to figure out a way, people that want to retire earlier or to live on, on some sort of income stream prior to that to accessing them. Because usually that's one of their biggest assets, if not their biggest asset, those that are trying to retire early and, and those that even if they're not retire, trying to retire early, just in general, a lot of them, that's their biggest asset is retirement accounts or a big rental portfolio. Yeah. And one thing I think we both noticed, at least for those that have their income a little bit higher and are able to save more, a lot of, at least at the minimum of what they're doing is maxing out their 401k and their IRAs, right? I think probably, I think it's be safe to say, right? Like 75% of our millionaires, certainly most of those that invest in market investments, max out those two accounts and oftentimes for a spouse as well, right? So that's at least like where they start if they're able to save that much and then maybe build up from there. Yeah. And we do have some millionaires coming on here fairly soon that we've done recording that come to mind, you know, that are definitely in that 70 to, I think we had one even that was almost, I think he was single, he was almost at 90% of his income saved. He had very, very, very low expenses being single and living with roommates and everything else. But yeah, for the most part, I'd say 20 to 30 is, is fairly average definitely skewed higher to those that are trying to pursue some sort of early retirement or or some sort of way to bridge uh, that income gap from tapping those retirement accounts. Because like you mentioned, it, it is a very big portion of, of their wealth building and planning. Yeah. And just speaking of investing, it really reminds and saving, right? It reminds me of the guy that we have on today's show, right? I think he's been so aware and so intentional about his saving just such an interesting interview and, and such a different perspective, right, than a lot of the millionaires that we've had. So it's Tom. He's 39 years old. He grew up actually as the oldest of 13 kids, so oldest of 13. He now lives overseas and has eight children for himself. So he and his wife have eight children. And so he talks about this concept, right, of saving and investing and how much he saves and his story and really just a super interesting perspective because eight kids, right? And growing up in a family of 13, I, I think the most, I don't know what, Jace, what's the most we've had somebody that has kids on the show? I think maybe, maybe four. I don't quite remember, but. Yeah. Definitely not eight. Totally different, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And you're living overseas. So he's got a net worth of 800 and includes two rental properties and a couple hundred in retirement accounts. But super interesting with Tom, just if anything, to hear his story, a totally different, unique perspective that we haven't heard before. Last week, just as a, as a quick recap, we had Chris, he had a net worth of over 5 million primarily in all real estate. And, and he has a couple unique concepts. One is owner financing, one is sale leasebacks. So if you're interested in real estate and how he's been able to be successful in that area and grow his net worth so well, that's an interesting interview with Chris. So again, this is episode 159 with Tom. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy the show, we'd appreciate you leaving a, a review on either iTunes or Stitcher or any platform that you listen on. It helps us grow the show reach new listeners, get new millionaire interviewees, and keep this thing going. We're growing and, and getting, I think we're in the top 50 now of investing podcasts on iTunes. So continue to move up and close to a million downloads here. So thanks for joining with us, especially in such a hectic week and a hectic year, right? So thanks again. And let's get into the interview with Tom. Tom, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for having me on guys. Uh, so I'm 39 years old. I'm uh, married and have eight kids. And aside from the eight kids, I would say I, I think I live a pretty ordinary and unremarkable life. Um, I don't 
have any apartment complexes. I'm not worth millions of dollars like a lot of your guests are. Uh, my net worth is only about 800000 today. But, you know, in listening to some of the different podcasts, which I've gotten something out of every one of them, they're, they're really good. But I, I don't think I've heard anybody with a larger family in my situation. So I thought I'd reach out to you guys and see if maybe it was something that you'd be interested in having on. Yeah, totally. I want to get into the net worth and stuff, but eight kids. How did that come <laughs> about and give it, our, our listeners some context of what it's like to have eight kids? Well, I guess for starters, I'm used to it. I grew up uh, in Panama, actually. I'm American, but grew up overseas and uh, I'm the oldest of 13 kids. And we're Catholic, and so we believe what the Catholic Church teaches on on every issue, including sexuality. And so um, it was just a natural thing that we would uh, we would end up with a larger family. It wasn't a surprise at all. And and what is the age ranges of the eight kids? So our oldest is twelve, and the youngest we just had Anne. She was born in March this year. Oh wow! So you got yeah. a, you got a little newborn there, born in the, yeah. during the pandemic. <laughs> yep, right at the start of it, it was uh, it was interesting. <laughs> That's pretty wild. So, and you have some twins in there too, you let us know, right? Yes. We have uh, two-year-old twins and they are a handful. Anybody that has twins knows how difficult it is to have twins. Yeah, I can only imagine. Your poor wife, she just must, with two, with two-year-old <laughs> twins and a newborn, I've got a two-year-old and a seven-month-old and that's plenty. I can't imagine <laughs> throwing twins in there plus a few older ones. I guess probably yeah. some of your older ones help a little bit though, right? The older ones are very helpful. Um, our oldest is Claire. And of course, I wanted a boy when we were first married. I wanted the oldest child to be a boy, but I'm very glad that we had a girl. She's she is like a second mother around here. And then James and Andrew are also very helpful. So it, it's actually having Anne number eight was actually the easiest, I think, for out of all of them, just because we have so much help here now. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's get a little bit into to your net worth. Eight hundred thousand with eight kids. You got a hundred for each kid, basically. How is that broken <laughs> up? Um, so it's primarily in real estate. Uh, not that it, I planned it that way or anything, but I own two homes currently. Um, one is valued at about 330 and one's valued at about 530. And I, I have mortgages on each of them of 200,000 a piece. I have uh, 220,000 roughly in retirement accounts and that's broken up with uh, about 160,000 in the thrift savings plan, which is the federal government's 401k essentially. And that's split 60-40 with the C fund, which tracks S&P 500, and the S fund, which is a small and mid-cap index fund. I also have a couple Roth accounts. One has 36000 one has 26000 in it. And I also have uh, 45000 in 529 accounts. Those are in Vanguard uh, Total Stock Mutual Index, or Market Index, and Vanguard Growth Index. And then I have 50000 in cash. I'm a little bit cash-heavy right now. And I also have a $12,000 investment account. That I just I just opened up after the uh, coronavirus pandemic hit the market, and I bought like in late March, April, early April, sometime in there, just to see if I could make a little bit of profit. And then I have like fifteen thousand in vehicles, and that's it. That's awesome. And how did that account go that you just opened up? Were you able to to make a a nice little profit? I know we've had quite the uh, second quarter run here. We're recording this on on July first, and it just closed out with the I think one of the sp- best in history of the stock market quarters think back since like 1970 well so what i did was i just i kind of googled like the worst hit stocks big stocks and i just put a thousand dollars into 10 of them so i bought like a couple airlines and some uh, oil company exxon and mgm i I don't know all of them but uh 
I just put a thousand in each and kind of let it ride and see what, see what's going to happen. Um, and it's up right now, just a couple thousand. Not bad. Not bad. So Tom, I want to rewind here a little bit back maybe to, to when you kind of started your career and you got involved. You always, you told us that you were always going to have a large family. How did you plan building wealth and allocating your resources to being able to support a large family, but also build wealth for yourself and your family in the long term? Well, I kind of stumbled into the uh, the personal finance part of it. I, when we got married, I mean, I had no, I would not have guessed that 14 years later, I'd have $800,000 net worth at all. Um, I just, we just trusted in God every step of the way, I would say. Um, but it wasn't until two, we got married in 06. And it wasn't until 2009 that I was introduced to some personal finance CDs, Dave Ramsey. And it was at that point that I realized, oh, geez, I've been making some pretty big financial mistakes. And I decided to start working his plan. And I've been doing that pretty much ever since. So at that time, when you started that plan, where was your financial situation at the time? No, oh, we were, uh, we had student loans of about $25,000. And in 2007, in April, I made a, a big mistake of buying a house. And it was the most I could afford. And of course, they were just giving out loans at the time. So I had no money down on this house. And six months later, it was underwater. But uh, yeah, so I realized a couple of years later, following Dave Ramsey, all the mistakes that I made along the way and just started trying to correct it. Um, I, I have committed Dave Ramsey heresy a couple of times. One of them was when I decided, you know, I was looking around in 2012 and I was looking at home prices and I, I realized, you know, we were living in an 1100 square foot home at the time and I was looking at home prices and I was like, geez, you know, I think we can probably get something bigger. And so I uh, went to my mortgage broker and we qualified and so I bought my second home and decided to go ahead and rent out my other home that I that I owned basically because it was underwater. I couldn't I couldn't sell it. I'd have to bring money to the table to sell it. So we rented it out and the rent covered the mortgage. And so now I actually own both of those homes and um, they're rented out currently because I'm actually overseas in Japan on a three year tour here. So that was in in what year, Tom? 2012, you said? 2012, I was looking and we bought early 2013. Okay. And so what was, I'm just curious, did you have it on a 15 year or a 30 year that rental? So the first home that we bought, I paid $240,000 for that home. And that was on a 30 year fix. And then in 20, that was in 2007. And then in 2013, we bought the second home. I paid 290 and the market was really soft at the time. And that was on a 30 year fix. I've since refinanced that one into a 15. It's worked out really well because the, the home prices have gone up since then, of course. Uh, so I paid two forty for the first one; it's worth about three thirty now, and I paid two ninety for the second one, and it's worth about five thirty now. Wow! Wow! Nice jump on that. Yeah. So, so the you, you have them both rented out. You mentioned did they both they cover the mortgages both of them? Yes. I mean that's pretty great on the one that has a fifteen year mortgage. Yes, it is, and the the first one is um, really starting to cash flow for me now because the rents have gone up quite a bit too. Yeah, good for you. So how many beds, how many baths? The first one's a three-bedroom, two-bath, and then the second home is a four-bedroom, three-bath. We went from 1,100 square feet to 2,800 square feet, which was nice with a growing family. Yeah, so will you move into the 4-3 into the when you get back? Maybe. Right now, my goal is to purchase a third home before we go back. With interest rates where they're at, um, I, I have some cash in the bank, and I'd like to try and get into a third home and I'm just looking at my, you know, over the last 10 years, my portfolio and a lot of it, the primarily the, 
the, the biggest chunk of it is in real estate. That's been a great return for me. So I would like to continue that trend if I can. Yeah. Good for you. Who's managing them? So I have an individual uh, property manager back home doing that for me. Uh, but when I was there, I was managing the other rental myself and I would, I would go, I would go back to managing it myself once we go home. Gotcha. Yeah. So I was, just, I was curious, any big issues since you've been away? No. Um, and I've really learned that, you know, <laughs> screening your tenants is the key to renting a home. And it's, it solves, you know, 98% of the headaches. So I have really good tenants in there now. What do they rent for? So the first one rents right now, it is renting for $1,625. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to increase that here when these tenants move out in August to probably $1,800. The second one is renting for $2,300. Wow. And, and longer term rentals or are you having a lot of turnover? No. The, um, so the... In the first home, the tenants had been there three years. The only reason they're leaving is because he's PCSing. And the second home, they've been there a year and a half, and they, I think they'll probably stay there for years to come. Awesome. So is it fair to say, Tom, that you became an accidental landlord in a sense because you couldn't sell the house? Very much so. <laughs> but you're glad you did, obviously. It's worked out well for you. Yes, I am. And I since then, I've started kind of – and I think I found your guys' podcast through Bigger Pockets because I was – kind of starting to get interested in the real estate uh, business. And so I was listening to bigger pockets and uh, they've given me some, some ideas as well. I, th I think I'd like to try some vacation rentals once I get back. Yeah. Well, good for you. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing, Tom. So your story, right? You, you started out making $35,000 at your first job. You told us, right? Yes. You just mentioned to Jace that you had what? Negative twenty thousand in student loans or something? Was it twenty thousand? Yeah. yeah, we started negative with uh, twenty five in student loans, and and then shortly, you know, within a year, we owned a house that was pretty much underwater. So, wow. And and at that point, did you have kids, or when you had your first kid, what was your net worth? Um. So Claire was born right after we bought that house. So negative net worth with the first kid. Wow. And then now you've grown at eight kids to eight hundred thousand dollars, and you'll be a millionaire at. I mean, I don't know, 40, 41, 42, right? Um, yeah, or, or 10 kids, however you want to count it. <laughs> Whichever comes first. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah. do you have any sense, I'm just curious, do you have any sense how much you spent per kid in the first 10 years of their life? Any idea? No, but I will say it's not very much. We homeschool and we live pretty frugally. We don't, nothing extreme, but... There's so much online, like Craigslist, you can buy bundles of, you know, infant and toddler clothes for really cheap and good quality stuff. So there's just, there's ways to, you know, keep costs down with, even with a large family. I think right now our grocery, and I say grocery budget, but it's, you know, really everything from toilet paper and paper towels to, you know, cleaning products and all the rest of it. I would say we spend probably about 16 or 1700 a month right now for our family. So it's, it's not, too terrible. So for about four hundred a week ish. Yeah. Yeah. Did you homeschool in the states as well, or just now since you're abroad? No, we uh, we we made the decision when Claire was about just going into kindergarten age, um, and I was pretty ambivalent. I didn't have a strong preference one way or the other, but my wife really wanted to try homeschooling, and I said, "Well, you know, you're going to be the one doing all the work here, so if you want to try it, that's fine with me." And she did, and we have never looked back. I mean, it's it's one of the best decisions we've ever made. Wow, good for you guys. So jumping back to your 
portfolio here, the amount you have in the market or the money you have in the market, you shared that some of it's index funds, some of it's future funds, 20 or 30 funds or so? Yeah, maybe. I, I kind of tried different things. So after I was introduced to Dave Ramsey, I was trying his advice of uh, growth stock mutual funds that perform at 10 to 12% a year for the last 10 years. I would say I've kind of slowly been moving more into the index funds, but so I kind of have a mix of both. Yeah, that's what, yeah. The follow up is now: are you are you shifting more towards just index funds? Because I'm a little bit the same way as you. I, I like to dabble a little bit, just a because I think it's interesting to follow stocks at the same. You know, if I put in like six thousand dollars into the Roth or whatever, sometimes I'll buy it in two or three different funds just to watch it, knowing that I put it in at the same time. And it's I don't know for me, I find it a little bit fun to watch. Yeah, I I, I get the sense that they are performing better than the ones that I'm picking. So that's kind of the direction I've been heading. Yeah. So one of the charts you sent us is titled net worth. It's just a snip, right, of your net worth. Did your net worth barely cross over a million a, cu- a couple months ago? No, that's a feature of uh, personal capital, which is when you refinance your house, they, you know, the, the account goes away and all of a sudden that $200,000 that you were negative is, is gone. And all of a sudden it looks like your assets are up in the million and you don't have any debt on the home. So that's just a blip. Okay, you told us that. Sorry. Yeah, okay. I remember, I remember in that. So you have a budget spreadsheet as well. Do you guys actively budget? Yes and no. I, I, I don't do it monthly currently. I was for a while, uh, but we've I've kind of got things dialed into where I know where things are at, and I, I'll check my checking account and make sure that we're not overspending. And I line out you know each of the items that, that we do spend on, and I, I have an idea of where the money's going, but I don't I don't balance the checkbook every month, so to speak. Yeah. And and it's interesting because most of the millionaires, I think, I don't know, 80 or 90 percent of the millionaires we've interviewed are are that same way. They're aware and they're tracking things, but not necessarily living on a monthly budget. And I don't know, maybe that's to say they were right at some point before they became a little bit more financially free or wealthy. Right. We we have before. I mean, we we've done the cash envelope thing and, and the whole nine yards. But at this point, we we have enough flexibility. There's enough money in the checking account and we're saving more every month. And so there's no, no real need to kind of scrutinize it to that detail. Sure. So how did, how did all the money stuff start, Tom? Was it, was it Dave Ramsey? Was it, Hey, we're going to have kids. We need to get this in order. or We want to pay off this debt. Was there a moment that, that triggered this that said, Hey, we should figure things out financially. There was definitely a moment and it was definitely Dave Ramsey. I was listening to his CDs. My, my sister had gotten these CDs for her husband on Christmas and after they listened to him, she said, hey, Tom, I think you'd like these. So why don't you take a listen to them? So she sent them to me and I listened to them. And I was like, geez, I, <laughs> I've been making quite a few mistakes here. And so we, we just got right on his plan right away. Everything he said, I, I agreed with. And so, yeah, that was the start of it back in about 2009 time frame. Wow. And then how long did it take you to pay off that debt? Um, so I had just a few months prior to that, I borrowed 15000 to buy a car but I, when I realized the mistake there, I went and I just jumped all over the overtime that was being offered at work, and we paid it off within like five months. And I paid off our student loans right after that. And trying to think, uh, I think those were the only debts we actually had outside of the mortgage. And so at that point, it was just a matter of paying down the mortgage. And then, I, like I said, I know Dave Ramsey would advise against buying that second home, but I just saw that you know how how low prices were at the time. And I, I thought, you know, 
our family's growing and this is an opportunity. I should probably just, I know it's a risk, but I wanted to, to get into a, a larger home. So we bought that second home and it's turned out to be one of the best financial moves that I've made. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. So, and that's the home. I forget the exact numbers you just said a few minutes ago, but was that the one you bought for like 280 or 290 that's now up in the fives? Correct. So do you, th- do you ever think about selling that or, or just you want to rent it and hold it for the long term and sell it eventually, but not right now? I want to rent it as long as I can. I, uh, I look back at these, these, rent- these rental properties right now are, are the bulk of my assets and they've just done so well for me that I don't want to uh, prematurely end that. As long as I can uh, save myself from, from selling them or being tempted to sell them, I'd like to keep them and keep them rented. Yeah. What's the hardest thing, Tom, about having eight kids and living abroad? That seems like a challenge. Uh, eight kids under hard- 12, I should say, right? Yeah. yeah. I'd say the hardest thing is just uh, not being with family and friends. Of course, we make new friends out here, but you certainly miss your family back home. So that's that's probably the hardest. Yeah. Did growing up, I know I'm jumping around here, but just as things come to mind and I'm, I'm asking you, did growing up overseas, how did that impact you or did you move to the States when you were too young to remember or? No, I, so I, I grew up in Panama, born and raised in Panama. My dad worked for the Panama Canal and like I said, big family from, from Panama. And when I was, in fact, I would still be down there married to a Panamanian girl with eight children, but, uh, Jimmy Carter had signed a treaty in the 70s that said that he was going to give the canal back to Panama. And so that happened in the year 2000. So essentially all the Americans left at that point and my family included. So we came up to Washington State. I went to college up there and that's where I met Carrie. So Tom, I got to ask, you've grown up abroad, then you went to Washington. Are your kids, I'm, I'm guessing you spoke speak Spanish, is that correct? I wish I could say yes. <laughs> uh, but we were uh, spoiled Americans down there. We lived in a canal zone, which was um, essentially part of Panama that was owned by the U.S. government. And so it's all there was English never, where you were at. It was all English where we were at. We we're never forced to speak Spanish. And so being lazy Americans, we we didn't pick it up. I When I left, I, my parents had actually put us into some uh, Panamanian schools towards the end of the time that we were there. And so I did start to pick it up. I would say I was probably 60 60 or maybe 70% fluent when we left. I'm probably, that was 20 years ago, 22 years ago. I'm probably 20% fluent now. Interesting. So are your, are your children now learning Japanese now that you're in Japan? Yes, they are. Um, they are doing some Japanese courses. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, I think sometimes we, with these millionaires we interview and just in general conversations we have, everybody always has this dream of living abroad and learning another language. You're doing something different than, than the traditional American you know, hey, we go travel to Europe and, you know, we just try to tell them to speak English and you go to France and realize they don't like speaking English to you and that kind of thing. <laughs> but here you are living out that dream, living in Japan, your kids are learning Japanese and, and you're you're building wealth while you're overseas. You know, it comes to mind, we had another millionaire uh, who was actually in the military and he, uh, I think, Clark, what was it? He had like 20 some rentals uh, in, in Alabama and he was living in Korea and managing those, uh, you know, through a through a third party management company that he had found and and whatnot. So I think it's fairly common for your, for people like you and this and the story that you've got to some degree to to do some in real estate uh, and the market too. But for, for, from what we've seen, it's been very uh, lucrative for those that have been you know living overseas to still continue to invest in in U.S. real estate. So, Tom, where do you go from here? 
in terms of building your net worth and raising eight children, you mentioned you have these 529s. Are you going to continue to, to contribute to those? And what's kind of the goal that you have for you and your family going forward here? Yeah. So um, I, I think I just kind of want to continue picking up real estate as I can as I go along. I would like to buy one, like I said, before we go back, buy another home. Part, part of the advantage of being out here, as, as you mentioned, is having um, this experience for the family. But also, it was a big financial boost for us because they, I got a promotion out of it. And I also, uh, when you, when you PCS out here, part of the incentive package is that they pay for your, your rental and your, uh, utilities while you're, while you're living in Japan. So our income has gone up quite a bit. And my plan right now with the 529s, I mean, there's no way I'm going to be able to afford to put all my kids through college. Um, not that I think all of them will necessarily go to college, but, uh, I've started an account for each of them and my plan has kind of been to, I put in a couple thousand, uh, when they're, you know, born or within the first year or two. And then I contribute a little bit monthly, not very much. It's like 25 bucks a kid, but when you have eight kids, it adds up. And my goal is to have, and I've kind of tracked it out. They should have between 15 and 20,000 each when they're graduating high school and ready to go to college. And in Washington State, they have a program uh, called Running Start where they'll, they'll let you go your last two years of high school to send you to community college for free. So the plan is if, if the kids want to go to college, we're going to, you know, encourage them to go to run, do Running Start. And then we should have, you know, 15 or 20,000 to help out with each of them after that if they want to, you know, go on to a four year university. Wow, that's great. So I'm just curious. As much as you're comfortable sharing here, where are you at income-wise? I know you mentioned you started at about 35000 What have you averaged here over the last few years? Um, yeah, so I, I work for the federal government, so there's, you know, there's no real uh, high upside. I'm not going to be making $200,000, $300,000 ever, um, but I, I make right now, it's hard to say with, the, you know, with them paying for my rent and, and all that, but... If I was back home at this job, I would be making about one hundred and ten thousand dollars, hundred hundred fifteen thousand dollars a year, and um, I, I won't go much higher than that. It'll maybe go to one hundred thirty, maybe. So, um, but over the last, I started out in this job making thirty five, and then it it went up pretty quickly. But it's only been the last few years that I made a hundred thousand. So my average is closer to ninety thousand if you look at the the whole time that I worked for the federal government. Yeah. So how do you manage your, I'm just going to call it your order of operations, if you will. You know, if you have, hey, I have five or $10,000 to invest, right? There's so many different places you can put it. You can put it in your 529. You got eight of those, right? You said yep. or eight different accounts. You got your HSA, you've got Roth IRAs, you've got this maybe buying another house or another rental, right? Uh-huh. You've got just traditional investment accounts. How do you prioritize where to put that money? Do you just try and put a little bit into each account? Do you try and hit one account a year or can you max them all out every year? Your 401k is in there too, or the government option, I guess, rather. But how do you manage that? In that sense, I'm, I am working Dave Ramsey's plan. I'm, he recommends 15% of, um, of your income going into retirement accounts. So I have with the government, they, the, the TSP, their 401k essentially is, um, they match up to 5%. So I have 5% going in there and they're matching five. And then I put 5% into each of my Roth accounts every month. And then above and beyond that, I put a little bit into the 529s. And then above and beyond that, I'm saving for real estate at this point. Yeah, because that's just yeah, so many options, right? To, what to do with your money when you want to start investing in real estate too. Yeah, right now it's going to be uh, just finding a home, hopefully that we have, that we can all move back into. 
And, and then when I get back, my goal is to, uh, after listening to the bigger pockets podcast, I'd like to try and get into some, um, vacation rentals. Well, Tom, we're, we're appreciative of you coming on the show because occasionally we get a guest writing in saying, Hey, you know, I'm working or my spouse is working and I'm not right. One of us is working and I have, you know, a few kids at home. We haven't had anybody write in with eight kids, I don't think, but you know, I have a couple kids at home. My spouse is working. I'm not, or I'm working. My spouse isn't. You know, we're only making 70 grand or 60 or 100, whatever it may be. Right. And and I listen to the show and I hear all these millionaires come on, not all of them, but a lot of them come on and they have a spouse that's also working. Right. And so when a, when a household has a combined income of 200, 300,000, then it's pretty easy. Not easy. I don't want to take anything away from people, but, you know, it's a matter of time. Right. When you're making that kind of money and investing that sure. you're going to you're going to become a millionaire. And, and that hasn't been the case for you. Right. I assume your wife, has she not worked since you've been married? That's correct. Yeah. We, we made the decision that, you know, as far as we were able to, I was going to um, be working and she could stay home with the kids. Um, and yeah, and that's that's actually why I contacted you guys. I, I, I wanted to, you know, maybe be able to share my story as kind of a source of encouragement for anybody else in this sort of situation. Um, and even if they, you know, a lot of people are two incomes, but then if you have kids, you got to pay daycare. And I know that's really expensive as well. So. So yeah, I'm glad for the opportunity. I, I do feel, I think I mentioned before, I feel a little silly being on the show, you know, Millionaires Unveiled. And I'm not a millionaire, but you guys did. <laughs> I deferred to your, your opinion on it and, uh, and came on with 800,000. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully yeah. something out yeah, there. Yeah, we'll take the blame. We'll take the blame for that. So yeah, I, I pushed you to come on because just because I thought it would be so interesting. And I think, you know, a lot of people with less than you, you resonate with people, right? Because you resonate with where they're at in life. And, and so that's why I wanted to get you to come on. And then, you know, we'll have you on again in, in a couple of years when you reach over a million. But going back to that point, it was probably growing slow at first, right? As your income was low and you started having kids and you had heavy expenses up front for hospital bills and such. Did you ever get discouraged or how did you go about managing that? How have you been able to stay focused? I guess the broader question is, you know, what advice or pieces of hope do you give to somebody that are in a similar situation? Yeah, I, I think, I mean... Part of part of I've I've been very surprised in the last year and a half. Um, my net worth has really gone up from around five hundred five hundred fifty thousand to now eight hundred thousand in just about eighteen months, which is really incredible. I don't think I don't expect or think that it would continue with that quick increase, but I do want to encourage people who who maybe you know maybe they have a hundred thousand saved or two hundred thousand saved to to just keep at it, keep saving and investing and. Uh, making good financial decisions, living on less than you're making, and and eventually, you know, you turn around and you have half a million dollars, eight hundred thousand dollars. I'm kind of looking at maybe twelve to twenty four months. I'll probably be at the million million mark, and it's just it's really incredible to me. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible to me too. Way to go! So, congrats, and and really, I appreciate you reaching out. So, just to to wrap up, Tom, I just want to end with some rapid fire questions. I think your answers will be interesting here. So. What's the most expensive jeans or pair of pants you have purchased? Um, so I only buy Levi's. I have a particular style of Levi's that I buy, and it's, I don't know, 40 or 50 bucks. Okay. What about a car? Most expensive car was a uh, 2011 12-passenger van that cost me about 18000 Nothing flashy there. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, hey, I grew up with, we lived in Chicago, six kids, and I, my parents bought a 16-passenger van. Okay, and, and so we would drive out to visit family in the west, and we drive out with that big honking sixty passenger van and stop every two miles to fill it up with gas. Yep. 
What's the most expensive meal out that you personally paid for? You know, when uh, Carrie and I go out, we we probably spend seventy five bucks to hundred bucks. I think I might have picked up the tab one time with a group of friends or something for three hundred, maybe. Okay. Uh, what item or items or experiences are worth spending more money on to you? That's a good question. Uh, I guess probably my weakness is spending more on a house. Okay. Have you ever used a financial advisor? I have not. I, and I, I think the reason for that is I feel like, especially with, I don't know, less than a million, I feel like uh, taking up more of their time than they want or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Any favorite books or tools or websites? You mentioned Dave Ramsey was influential. Any Anything else that you'd recommend? I, I'm not a big reader. I, I probably read, you know, three or four or five books a year, maybe. I think if I was to recommend a book to somebody, it would probably be if somewhat finance or economic related. It would be something by Milton Friedman or Thomas Sowell, which explains, for instance, basic economics or Milton Friedman's Free to Choose, which kind of lays the groundwork for how it is that we're even on this show, talk, you know, listening to other millionaires. Um, and every year there's 600,000 more millionaires in America. And it's because of the free market. So I think I would recommend that. Awesome. Awesome. Good advice. So last question here. What what does it mean to you to be happy and fulfilled? And, and you know, you're almost a millionaire here. You will be shortly. Has that money brought you confidence or happiness at all or a sense of security? What does it mean to be happy? And So, I, I mean, I, I, I don't get my happiness from money for sure. I, I find happiness in my family and in my Catholic faith. But I would say that that I am, I, w- I guess I would say that I am happier now um, than I was, say, 10 years ago, but not in the sense that I was dissatisfied or unhappy that we only had $2,000 in our checking account or whatever. I would say it's similar to asking the question, if I'm happier now that Anne is born, and I would say, yes, I am happier, not to say that I was unhappy three years ago or seven years ago when we had fewer kids, if that makes sense. Yeah, certainly. And then, you know, one thing I just want to hit on before we close, because I, I want to give you a shout out here. You give you guys give a lot, it seems, right? Or you, you tithe to, to your church. Yes, we tithe to, to the church and some of our charities. Yeah. So just I want to give you a shout out. A certain amount you try and do or it staggers between charities. I know you have a few listed here on your spreadsheet. Um, we we give primarily to the to the parish that we go to back home. And then just, you know, there's so many other charities that we'd like to give to. So we end up breaking out into just small $20 increments. Yeah. So good for you. I mean, you've been able to do all this and and giving a lot away too. So really appreciate you coming on, Tom. Thanks again for sharing your your story. We're going to have you on again here in the next year or two. So thanks again. It's Tom Networth, about 800,008 kids. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you guys very much. Thanks, Tom. All right. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.